Welcome, Freedom Jumpers, to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Joining me for this episode number 38, 38, is my good friend and colleague, Mr. Christian Moore from Lexington, Kentucky. Christian is the founder and CEO of the Real Good Group. And aside from being part of the Real Good Group, Christian is a real good human. He's a good uh, husband, a good father, and he is an excellent business owner. And uh, he is also an actual friend of mine, not just, you know, when we always say, oh, my friend and colleague so-and-so. Christian is an actual, like, real-life friend, not just a professional friend. Uh, He and I have a great conversation on a variety of topics, uh, going in detail on some things that Christian has learned uh, in the last couple of years Uh, Some things that uh, he will definitely be uh, taking forward and doing differently in the future. Some wins uh, and some real challenges. So before we jump into the bumper and get to episode 38, I do want to ask uh, that you would subscribe to Agency Freedom Podcast on the platform of your choice. Drop a review wherever you are listening. And most importantly, please share Agency Freedom Podcast with someone who is still in the captive insurance world because we are setting people free from their chains of bondage uh, to a captive way of doing business and showing them the freedom way, as many of you have already experienced and are currently enjoying. So thanks for all your support. Uh, We are just blowing and going full speed here in 2022. Uh, That's really it uh, for the housekeeping item. So sit back, relax, turn it up, and enjoy episode 38 of the Agency Freedom Podcast with my friend, Christian Moore of The Real Good Group. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. All right, back for another episode. And uh, this is great. This is informal. Uh, This is a lot more conceptual uh, and and just, you know, shop talk, kind of a a friendly gathering of of professionals. I always use the phrase uh, friend and colleague because it's, it's polite. It's a warm way to refer to a peer. Uh, My guest for this episode actually is a friend, like someone that I text with on, you know, unrelated non-insurance things. Uh, We had the privilege of meeting uh, in San Diego at Innovation uh, 2020, literally six weeks before this stupid pandemic kicked off. I had no idea how fortunate we were to have a normal business trip uh, back then. But uh, Christian Moore from uh, Lexington, right? Lexington, Kentucky, yeah. Lexington, Kentucky, the bluegrass state. Thanks for joining me, man. That's a privilege. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that when we met, God was like, "Whoa, whoa! I don't I don't know if the world is ready for this. I'm gonna have to shut this thing down for a solid two years before uh, before we can <laughs> before we can let anything else transpire." Oh man, you know, I at that point I was still very very new uh, to the the independent world. And I had seen several of, of, of you know posts and comments and, and th- stuff from you at that point. And you were kind of a big deal in my mind of this guy's really got it going on. And I made a point of sitting at your lunch table uh, that, that first day in San Diego thinking, I have got to be in this guy's airspace. I need to figure out what he's doing and replicate as much of it as possible. Mm-hmm. 
And here we are, you know, two years later, January 28th will be the second anniversary of meeting you. I know it's weird that I know that date, but But here we are. You're the now you're the sensei and I'm the student. I don't know about that. Far from a sensei. I'm just the guy who is doing this one episode at a time and making it up (laughs) as he goes along. Like my guest list is about four deep. And after that, I need to find more people. You did not tell me to pitch this, but I'm super stoked to for this upcoming interview that you have for this, uh, whoever this underwriter of the year is. I want to hear that. I'm really excited to hear that perspective. That's going to be cool. Man, I am really, really excited about that one. And there's, uh, there's another one that we haven't really talked that much about yet. Uh, but I was able to get approval uh, from a national president of distribution uh, for a top five carrier. And it, it was just a friend of a friend sort of situation where yeah. somebody was on an incentive trip. And I'm like, hey, do you mind name dropping for me? Let's see if I can get this guy to come on uh, the podcast. And it worked out well, and That's cool. I'm going to be able to get to that. Uh, I, there's some really cool things happening. I honestly, and this is not a start your own podcast little pitch. I had no idea the doors that would be opened when somebody hears you have a podcast with 5,000 monthly downloads. Um, I'm I would definitely not have an audience with several of these people if I'm yeah. just you know James, the agency owner from a you know. That's really, Texas. that's really interesting. Not to, not to mention just the intellectual capital that you're able to, you know, be able to put in your bank, right? I mean, that's the different ideas that are shared is really cool. But I know talking, so Bradley Flowers is a good friend and not to name drop a competitor, but, uh, you know, oh, he's, no. he's uh, he says the same thing. He always says that one of the best things from the podcast is just the doors that it opens, which is oh, yeah. understandable. Well, and I mean, what him and Scott have done with the insurance guys it is nothing short of incredible. I would be yeah. lying if I didn't say I was definitely looking at them, uh, them and, and Carruthers as the gold standard of what I'm trying to emulate. Uh, I don't know if I could we ever. Don't need attain. to give David any more accolades. He already knows he's awesome. He's he, yeah. we, don't, we don't need to feed that. You know, he, he's not not uh, struggling with confidence. That's for sure. Yeah, I, unless maybe. we think of too much confidence, maybe I don't know. Well, we're, he's, both, he's, we're both killing commercial, right? Yeah, you're in the oh, KC, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I'm a cold-blooded killer. Hashtag CBK. I mean, I have called him my mentor and older brother more times than I can count at this point. Uh, But yeah, the whole podcast thing is really strange because until, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, when I first started listening, I listened to to Hanley's podcast from pretty early on with a launch. I mean, he's been doing podcasting for literally 16 years under various names and shows, but... I didn't, I wasn't really into the podcast thing at all. Uh, right. Not just insurance, but like podcasting as a genre of media, never really did any of it sure. you know, on, on the consumer side. And yet here we are. So that's kind of weird. You're drawing me off sides, man. We're, uh, <laughs> we're not even in the headspace at all. Sorry, uh, sorry. We're, we're not recording this uh, visually. Uh, we're doing the, the, the audio, of course, but I really wish you could see the similarity in beards here because you know christian and i have i'm looking at it here virtually identical beards you're a little little more irish you're a little bit more on the scottish irish side the color is a little different but the shape the density there's some quality beard action there my friend dare you say the sexiness no, you know what? I have been told that if you refer to yourself as sexy, it's just weird. Uh, <laughs> but if someone else refers to you as sexy, then the only appropriate response is, thank you. Even if it's another dude, like, Well, here, respect. a long time ago, I realized that being a very happily married man with kids, uh, it makes it completely okay. Because if another dude is like, hey, you're hot, all I'm going to say is, thank you. Thank you. Thank I don't you. care if it's, you know, some kind of a come on, whatever. It, you know, those people <laughs> people that uh, prefer that lifestyle, more power to them and do whatever they want. Uh, and married and two kids means I can just say thank you and move on. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. So, your wife isn't saying that anymore. Uh, you know, that is a different <laughs> conversation for a different day, my friend. If I'm doing my job, she still thinks I'm sexy. Okay, I, just I put see it you on the way. Peloton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The uh, the dad bod is well represented. If you've seen any pictures, I'll just put it that way. Thank you, 37 years old and working right. from a desk most of the time. 
Well, this episode is six minutes in and completely off the rails. So I hope you're happy, sir. Sorry about that. This is what happens when when uh, two you know, people that are a little a little <laughs> yeah. too friendly on the podcast side of things. So if you're still listening to this episode, we are in fact going to jump in uh, to some content here. Uh, so Christian, your journey has been nothing short of uh, eclectic and really fantastic. Uh, you have achieved pretty wild success in not that many years of being an agency principal. Um, we'll cover a lot of topics in this conversation, I'm sure. But uh, for those that are not familiar, uh, why don't you give people the you know three or four minute version of your backstory, uh, how you got to be an agency principal, uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, first, you know, to your uh, I, I don't agree with you, you saying successful or wildly successful. Um, I, I think that when you look at success, there's, there, you, know, you can measure it by a million different ways. One way I measure success is, am I on time for things in my personal life? And, and the answer to that is no, I'm not. Mm. So if that were just a very crude way of measuring my success, I'm not there. Because if my work is taking up everything that I'm doing, that I'm working to live, yeah. Uh, or I'm living to work, not working and living, right? Um, well, I know you and I are both very serious about family time and, yeah. and living a balanced and complementary life. And speaking of, you know, guests on the show, I know for absolute certainty that Brandon Smith and Grant Botma would yeah. be echoing those sentiments. You know, uh, exactly. What's really interesting, and uh, I'll, I would share someone, we're talking about like, you know, work-life balance and... Um, I was talking about this with actually one of the pastors in the community here that I know, and he basically, he just blew that out of the water, and he's like, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing, and it's, and it's the wrong way of thinking about it, and, and he, he made this analogy, and I love this analogy, and, it, and it's simply that your, your work and your life, essentially, it's, it's a recipe, um, and it's much, it's, much more, it's much less scientific than it is artistic, right? And so, you know, everything goes into a pie crust. And it, it is ridiculous to think that I should have the same amount of sugar and, and cinnamon as I do salt, right? Yeah. So if I'm, making a, if I'm making a pie, I'm not a confectionery artist or anything like that. So if it sounds ridiculous to people who actually know how to cook, I'm sorry. But if, if I'm making a pie and, I, and I'm putting sugar and salt in equal proportions in, something's probably going to go awry. And to think that I need equal amounts salt and sugar in order to have balance, that's, that's absurd. So you have to start with what the end goal is, right? In mind, mm -hmm. what's your end goal for your life or for your business? And then, and then determine, okay, what is the recipe for success? And so there, and, and what we also have to recognize is that different parts of our life require different uh, pies, different recipes, right? So at the end of the day, we have to ask the question, what's the pie crust, right? Yeah. Um, as, uh, as a faith-filled person, you may say that's God, or as a uh, or as somebody else with different values, you might say that that's family, or you might say it's finances, or it might be financial freedom or independence. You know, different people might have different um, different beliefs as to what that is, and that's a different conversation. But for yeah. me, I have to understand. I have to know what the crust is. So, does everything exist inside of that crust first? If it exists outside of the crust, then I'm not working towards my purpose and my goal. And then two, do I understand what part of my life am I in right now? And uh, and are the ingredients that I'm putting into it, does it actually help me accomplish that, that final product, right? So there's different mm -hmm. parts of life where it makes more sense to work more. And so, you know, I've got young people in my agency and I'm like, I'm married with three kids. I go to soccer practices and Bible studies and soccer games and all kinds of stuff. I don't have the time that you have. And, yeah. and, the, and, I'm, and frankly, the things that I value right now are different than they would be if I were 23 or 24 with nothing else to do but, but work and dominate a field, right? So my values or my, my, my recipe should look different than a 23-year-old, 24-year-old who has nothing to do but just crush it, right? So you know, I, if someone says that, hey, you should have a work-life balance at the age of 23, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Work and sleep, right? And maybe work out. And, and figure it out. But it doesn't need to be the same as, as the, the 50-year-old millionaire, right? Well, life so, was a lot more straightforward back then. Oh, yeah, man. No I, wife, no kids. Yeah. Uh, I, your time was your own. My it's, wife and I always joke and we look at people who are you know, married with uh, one, you know, married with no kids. And we're like, what do they do with all their free time? I know, um, right? 
And it's, it's the same with the agency too. As your agency grows, you know, I just, I just had a meeting with an aggregator, which I never thought I would, would even consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason that I did it now is that at the size that we're at, I have had the opportunity to experience things that I haven't experienced before. And so now we're at a place where it's like, man, you know, I don't really care. I have all, I have more carriers than most, most agencies through direct appointment. You, you and mm-hmm. I kind of followed a similar path in that, mm-hmm. uh, I think. Um, we actually followed opposite paths. No, that's right. I, I no, that's joined right. an aggregator from the that's beginning. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, didn't and I was want- really interested to see, and I'm not going to name drop them unless you want to. I saw your post asking about that and I'm thinking... We can talk about them. Very uh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're in the middle of the process right now, so I don't want you to feel like no, you're put care. on the spot uh, or whatever. I don't care at all. No, it's Keystone Insurance Group. Um, and and most aggregators, I would still say absolutely. So one of their questions to me is like, you know, what, who, are there, who else are you considering? And I was like, no one. Um, because the value, the value that I'm looking for isn't, I don't need markets. I don't need market access. There yeah. are other things that are there and not to name names, but most aggregators that I talk to, you know, one out of two are trying to figure out how to get out of their contract. I've never met anyone in Keystone that has said that not one. And that yeah. was important to me. Um, and the agents that I, nope. the agents that I see are of a certain size and have a certain level of experience. So there's a, there's a quality to that community that I think mm-hmm. that is different than the community of agents who are just trying to get things figured out, which is where I was the last three or four years. But now we're kind of on the other side of some things. And, and we realized that, man, growth apart from profit isn't, well, it's not profitable. You can, yeah. You can, you Wait, can. You, you've heard my, uh, my, my conversation on the three kinds of insurance money. And uh, profit is absolutely the focus. Right. Revenue without profit is a complete waste of time and energy. Yeah. And there's a game that you can play, right? You can have your pro forma set up so that, hey, look, I know that I'm not going to be profitable for two years or three years or four years or whatever. But again, that kind of goes to the recipe. Are you building up to what you want or, or are you just going to work indefinitely and never make any money? Um, yeah. And so we're at the place now where we, we're valuing um, profitable growth over just ridiculous growth. Well, and you know, in all fairness, the decision that I made was in recognition of where I was in the life cycle of the agency and you know, what I needed from an aggregator, uh, what I needed as far as coaching and development and assistance. And you know, we're three years old on April first. Yeah, we haven't even hit our third birthday yet. You know, if we're if we're a human, we're still in diapers more than likely. Right. Uh, so, you know, where you're at, you know, Keystone, and I know, uh, our, our friend, Mr. Gurley, uh, mm-hmm. is in Keystone, he and his partner. Yeah, that's right. And, and they're very happy. You know, I have no idea. It may very well have played out very differently had I already had several years of agency principal experience and all the contracts I wanted. Maybe I didn't pick SIAA at that point. I have no idea. I could not be happier with my experience with them. They've been wonderful. You the, always the talk team highly of them. So that's, that's, that's a testament to your group. There. Transparency, I think, is the most important thing. Let's have all of our cards on the table. Let's just have an, an open conversation and look for a mutual win. Yeah. You know, the, everybody that wants to bash aggregators as a category, and we're not going to go down this road because we've no. already covered this on the podcast. It, it seems to me like, they don't understand the bigger picture. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're looking at exit clauses and complaining about, you know, having some kind of a, a, a separation that's challenging. It was like, didn't you read that at the beginning? <laughs> didn't you read the divorce clause when you agreed to sign that contract? I'm pretty well, sure that's your signature on that document. So, you know, that, well, you know, the, the sword cuts both ways. That goes into some really good principles of, of business, right? Because, and this kind of gets into some of the things that I know you and I want to talk about. So we can... Maybe jump that direction. Yeah, let's pivot. Let's just jump right into it. But and what you know, people, what maybe people, we can do the background story later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if you want to hear my background, you can go to the the Insurance Guys podcast or the uh, uh, Chris Klein Westfield. Uh, um, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, you connected me with Chris, and I haven't circled back with oh, him yet. Dude, I, you guys I, have to get together. Chris Klein yeah. is one of the top guys in the industry. He's fantastic. Um, no, I love that. What's called? So closing, if somebody wants your background story, go check out uh, Bradley and Scott's interview with you. You said it was almost a couple of years ago, right? Almost a couple of years ago. He's, I think Bradley said it's still like one of their top 10. It's a, so there's a lot there. But then uh, closing the gap with Chris Klein too. But to your awesome. point, what you were saying before, which is I, I think super valuable, a lot of people um, 
make decisions in particular in business um, out of out of fear and out of grasping um, and so what you end up doing is is uh, you know yeah that was their signature and, and my problem with my problem with aggregators in the past why I haven't looked at them is I felt like they were taking advantage of people's weak position now in a capitalist society fantastic that's you know they're making money off of that uh, but I didn't like it still and that you know that's fine too I get to not like it um, but that happened to me quite often you know I was um, over the last few years uh, you know what was really interesting is is um, you know most of everything I focused on in my agency has been culture related right um, and so over the last few years, I, I found myself making decisions that weren't consistent with what I wanted in the end in order to get to where I wanted to be now, right? So um, the, the more that I dug in and said, I am going to make decisions based off of my core values, that I'm going to make decisions based off of the things that I say are valuable to our culture, the more that started to, to frankly, kill or... Uh, or separate things that I had valued before, mm. and and that was um, the, a lot of a lot of really good and really really hard lessons came from that. Hmm. What's uh, what's one or two of those lessons? And and feel free to be as specific or as vague as you want to to protect the other players in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, well, you know, so in 2020 when you and I met, my conversation was how to be a giant killer. Um, the point of that wasn't truly how to kill it, how to kill giants. It was much more uh, how to make decisions so that your that that those who are giant killers. So what the whole point was is that the agency owner isn't the giant killer. There's someone in your agency. There's some great staff member that if you don't operate the right way, then you're going to potentially lose some of your most valuable people. And essentially, it's can you dream big enough and are you secure enough in your position to allow people to thrive with you? Um, so that was kind of the, the crux of that conversation. Well, if you fast forward like 11 months, I got an email one day from four team members. And those four team members, um, those four team members decided to quit. And they, I, got, I got four emails within seven minutes of each other. And they all said, and they all said, hey, I'm, um, I'm leaving. Now, the backstory on that is that we had said, hey, we're going to be doing traction, we're going to be doing EOS, and everything that's happening is going to come to light. We're going to see who we are and what we've been doing. And we were pushing forward really heavily with making sure that we were accountable for our actions and that uh, there was going to be no more shell games. And I was really starting to inspect what I expected. And that, that was a very difficult um, thing for some people to come to terms with. And when people were coming to terms with what their value was going to be relative to their pay, as opposed to just being paid, whatever they, they got really, their, their feelings got hurt and it caused a derision. We started making decisions based on these core values that we said we were going to do. And it, it was like energizing a magnet. And what we found was those who were truly not lock in step with who we are as an organization started it, it it pushed them away yeah and you know I, I remember driving to my office that day completely you know I completely gut-wrenched one of the people who did this was you know one of my closest friends and I remember thinking and it was certainly a prideful thought but I remember thinking oh no am I a fraud am I a fraud did I just get up and tell a bunch of people a cool story but I don't live it and for weeks, that was the top of my mind. It was, am I a fraud? Am I, did I, am I de have I deceived myself in some way? Did I miss something? And certainly there are things I could do better and always can do better as a, as a leader of an organization. But ultimately what I, what I did come down to, what my team who remained helped me to see, because uh, I posed it to them. But what they helped me to see was that no, in fact, you know, you were doubling down on what you said you were going to do and it, and it drove the wedge all the way through. And, and what we found, you know, when I walked into the office, I walked into wiped computers and missing documents, digitally and phys phys physical. Um, mm. it, was, it was complete devastation. And 
what we found was that that needed to happen. It truly was cutting out um, decay in the organization. And it was decay that we hadn't truly, you, know, you kind of know it's there, mm-hmm. but, you, but you don't until it's gone, right? It's like, oh, it's like when you lose weight, right? You know, you lose 20, 30 pounds. You're like, oh man, I've been living with a, like a human in me. <laughs> I mm. feel great now that I've lost all this weight. Well, that's how our organization, wow. you know, really, really, the last year has been a, a rebuild. And we, have, we are now at the place a year later where every single person in the organization is lock and step. And we only, if, when we ask a question, when we ask something that needs to be done, everyone just jumps in and, and makes it better or collaborates as opposed to arguing their point or politicking. Um, if you're a fan of uh, Patrick Lencioni, Five Dysfunctions. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, instead of politicking, they jump in and they figure out how to make things better. And it's all open handed uh, and it's uh, truly collaborative. So we're completely in a different space now than we were a year ago. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who is it, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. My reading chair over here in the corner of my office, I'm looking at the book, The Advantage from Mr. Lencioni. That's a fantastic book. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Side note, I was never a reader. In my, my previous years and years and years of adulthood, never a reader, couldn't care less. You know, I'll read, you know, a, an article on social or whatever. I was, I never cracked open an actual book Same. for years after grad school. And then I was challenged by a friend in 2018. I was still a farmer's agent at the time. It was like all the smartest people I know, all of the most successful people I know are voracious readers. They're constantly consuming and applying good information. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I'm not a reader and I'm not doing any of that. So I better get started. And holy crap, man, that is a true statement. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really truly valuable. Um, If if you're not reading, and this goes out to every single, every single freedom jumper, I'm talking to you person in your car, you know who you are, you know, if you're doing something to better yourself or if you're just coasting or in survival mode yeah and i'll say the same thing that i was told in in april of 2018 when i made a decision to become a reader you know what are you doing to better yourself what are you reading how are you going to improve yourself as an individual as a leader as a family person as as the uh, the chief executive of your company what are you going to do to improve? That's you know so, what's so good about that is um, back in my so I was a State Farm agent in waiting, what they called an additional intern at the time. But you kind of you're waiting for an you, you go through the whole training, you're waiting for an agency to open up and take over. And at the time, um, I was given a book called the Sales Leader's Playbook, um, and fantastic, easy read. It's one of those like you put in your bathroom and you know read a chapter you know, a seating, right? But it's, it's fantastic. Seating. <laughs> per seat. That's the most polite way of talking about the pooper that I've ever heard. But, oh, man. but one, of the things that, on. one of the things it talked about was that, you know, professional, professional athletics, professional teams, they, and this was relative specifically to, um, to role-playing, but they said, you know, professional athletes, they practice 90% of the time and they play 10% of the time. But professionals in the workspace, they play almost 100% of the time and it may be, maybe practice. And when you think about that in a sales organization, how crazy and ridiculous is it that we don't require our salespeople to practice? Practice? Yeah. We talking about practice? 
But I'm talking about practice, man. Like we we if you're if you're not doing role play and you're not oh, you're, you're not putting your people through that stuff, then you're asking. Are you a Bengals fan? I are, how I are you going to so drop a Marvin Lewis this quote? Year, this is like the first year in a long time oh, I man. am a Bengals fan. I, I love that you just casually drop a Marvin Lewis quote in the middle of a podcast. Wait, Marvin Lewis? That was, that was Allen Iverson. No, the it was Allen Iverson in a different kind. Con- the the, uh, the Marvin Lewis quote was he was at a press conference, basically screaming about practice with the poor performance of his players. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that was Allen Iverson in a different context. My bad. <laughs> I went straight to Marvin Lewis, thinking that that was a Cincinnati Bengals reference. Hey man, as a Bengals fan, I'm happy to get them on the air anyway. You know, I think they only have like one or two games a season, you know, aired. So you know, they need all man. the money they can get. Joe Burrow, holy moly, man. That guy is straight out of the gate the real deal. So who's who's, I, who's getting us off key now? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I I I try to be as real as possible. We don't have a, a particular agenda on these kind of calls. You know, I get Ty Harris, CEO of Openly on here. I'm scripted. Every question is pre-recorded, you know, like arranged and and designed and run past their marketing and PR people. I get on an interview with you, and I mean, only God knows where we're going because you and I don't have That's a particular true. plan. So, well, I'm just gonna put my put my hands on the back of my head and, and keep going. I like it. I like it. Well, to that point, I mean, I, I was trying to figure out, you know, what's you get on a podcast. Yeah, I did. I did the whole podcast thing in 2020 and 2019, and made made a lot of rounds. And I decided to honestly, I I did that presentation at IOA and had such great feedback. And if I were in it just for me and I wanted to go like write a book or sell some type of program, I probably could have. But, you know, in doing that, I I was on stage and felt like I did, you know, honestly felt like I killed it. I felt like I did way better than I thought I was going to do. And, and I got a lot of clarity that, man, all I'm doing is self-promotion. And that's not what I felt like I was called to do. And it's not what I felt like I needed to be doing at the time. I needed to come back and focus on my agency. And thank God I did because the following 10 months of preparation made it so that when all those people left, when the, when those four people left, our retention increased and our sales remained the same in terms of, you know, selling 200 plus thousand in premium a month. So... Hmm. That was really interesting, right? How is that possible to be able to do that when you lose 40% of your staff? And it was because I stopped focusing outwardly and started focusing on the things that actually needed to be paid attention to here internally. Now, I want to pivot real quick and ask you about the, the title company partnership. Yeah. Uh, obviously, again, keeping it anonymous because, you know, they can do whatever they want. I remember when this was becoming a thing, when you announced it and you were talking in great detail about exactly how this was going to work. Everybody listening to this episode, everybody sitting in their office, in their car, whatever, longs for that A-plus channel partner that just feeds you a pipeline full of qualified you know, ready to go target prospects. Every single agency owner, every producer, yeah, everybody wants one of those. You had what looked to be, you know, the great white whale, yeah, from Moby Dick on on the hook. Talk about that story. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so we can start with saying that that partnership just ended. Um, and what's really interesting in that, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you're trying, you know, something seems like a good idea. And you scrape and claw to make something happen because you you like the idea of it, but we didn't spend as much time qualifying it as we should have. Uh, so, for example, uh, you know, one, with my new producers, one of the things I tell them is that you need to spend ten times more qualifying than you do quoting, ten times more time qualifying than you do quoting. And um, and so what you're looking at there. What, what do you got? I'm sorry. I'm totally distracted. My team is laughing in the background. I should really not have any idea what's going on. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, my team is sharing, like I have Microsoft Teams and it just popped up and it was a meme uh, <laughs> with, somebody made a comment about the, uh, the Sex and the City actresses are as old now 
as the Golden Girls actresses were when that show first came on the air. And then someone said, Sarah Jessica Parker annoys the crap out of me. And someone else posted a picture of her face next to a horse's face. And like the resemblance in that meme was a little uncomfortable. I apologize. I totally dropped a bomb in the middle of you, it's you know, okay. giving so heartfelt it's, feedback. It's I just wanted to explain why I had a big goofy smile on my face. This is a really That's, great time to talk about why we need to sell particular types of umbrella coverage because if you are on a podcast, let's say, and you compare a famous actress to a horse's face, you could be you could be sued. Uh, yeah, so. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm just sitting here going, guys, like, we're what are we doing? Can we... <laughs> Anyways, no, I'm pretty sure every single team in every company everywhere has that one line of conversation, that one little collection of gifts or memes or whatever, yeah. where everybody would be in a lot of trouble if it was ever made public. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure every office has one of those. Yeah. So yeah. that's why you're in charge of HR, right? Um, yeah, we actually outsourced it to a company called Bambi and oh, we've yeah. been really happy with them. That's cool. Does Bambi have access to all of your internal communications? <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So title company. Sorry. Yeah, so one, so of the, you're, one of the things that we're talking about is that, you know, you always have to qualify more than you quote. Right. Um, and so one, what we, what we found out. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things we found out here. So this, this will be really good for anyone who's considering these types of partnerships. Some things we didn't foresee. Uh, when I say we, the both sides of the partnership. There are some things that I didn't foresee on my side of the partnership. For example, um, I didn't foresee that um, I didn't foresee that we would be um, we, that we'd have a partner that was, that was afraid to rock the boat with what we were doing. Uh, which what that also means is that I didn't realize that I needed to spend a lot of time saying, hey, this is a disruptor. So there's something else that was unique in all of this. The the arbitrary relationships inside of referrals groups, it actually speaks to how valuable those relationships can be and why you should probably look to be in or have some type of referral group. But, you know, so we were with one of the largest title companies in our state and that and that company has all of these great relationships with mortgage lenders. Well, those mortgage lenders are in referrals groups, of course, with insurance agents. You know how many insurance agents send referrals to mortgage lenders? None, none. It never happens the other way around. But it always goes that the insurance agent is receiving referrals from the lender. So mm -hmm. as the lender would, would use the title company, the title company would, would send us a lead, and then we would close that. We were really stepping on a lot of toes. And essentially, we were killing State Farm and Kentucky Farm Bureau and Liberty Mutual agents' business because uh, we were writing so much and, and taking so much uh, business away from them. Well, so they started complaining to their loan officers. And loan officers were going to come back to the title company saying, hey, why did this happen? Why, why, are, we, why are you calling my my, you know, these, these clients after close, for example? Or why are you, you know, my, my agents who are in my referrals group are saying they're not going to be able to eat now. Like literally stuff that was, was said, which is, you know, kind of ridiculous, but also what, what made it back to me. Can we just pause for a second? Yep. I'm sorry. I can't let that go without making a little bit of fun of the pathetic, absolutely piss poor response from these whiny little punks who don't do something about it. Instead, they go and run to daddy and complain because the the fountain of sugar water got shut off and you had to actually work a little bit harder. Because <laughs> I didn't say anything on the call when we talked about this very briefly on Monday, but I'm thinking, oh, for God's sake, put yeah. some pants on. It's true, but that's, like, you let's know, go. That, that really goes to the captive side of the mentality of, of, of how to how to give it. Because for them, it's only a numbers game, right? You're like a toddler sitting in a high chair waiting for someone to spoon the pureed peas into your mouth. Well, when, you, when your close ratio is only 8 to 14%, depending on the carrier, you know, these, these guys are... These guys are no, struggling. I, I'm not yeah. categorically bashing captive agents, but I am categorically and unapologetically bashing that mentality oh, yeah. to complain to a loan officer oh, because yeah. someone else beat you in the open market. Well, that's why Put we all Put a helmet on and go pride, to work. Right? Like, let's go. Yeah. If that's all you, if that's the only thing you can do. Christian, you got me fired up, man. Yeah. I, I can't count. I can count on one finger the number of times that I have been 
irritated to the point of raising my voice in this podcast, but holy crap, man, like that is definitely <laughs> one of them. It happens. It's like, are you kidding me? Well, let me like, also say- That's your response to the marketplace. Yeah. How about you, you know, increase your, your value offering, increase your closing abilities, lock down your insured so Real Good Group doesn't come in and swipe you after closing. Yeah, that's right. Ugh, well, sorry. No, it's, it's, End rant, I'm going to put the microphone down because I don't have anything else to say there other than, wow. Well, understandably. Talk about the definition of pathetic. Truly. And understandably, from our partner's standpoint, you know, they're, they're, bread and butter are, are home loans. And so when yeah. that gets threatened, mortgage lenders times, are feeding the title company yeah, most yeah. of their so business. They, they couldn't, they weren't making enough where it made sense to them right now, you know, down the road, you know, it's going to be a big deal. And there, there's some ideas in terms of like aggregating it and all that kind of stuff. But for them, as they talked to other people who had tried to do this as well, the, there was a, there's a, a kind of a common theme and here's where the theme is in my opinion. For two years, they were they were fantastic people, and they're one of the best of the best, uh, industry best. You couldn't do better than to use them for your title. But they they were fearful, and and because of that, they didn't set proper expectations for this in the sales side. And so instead of going to every single lender and setting expectations of what was going to happen and letting the negative responses come, and then just saying, okay, we won't do that. Instead, it was, we'll try and do everybody, and then we'll just handle the negative responses and, and filter that down. Well, again, this goes to so many different principles, but in sales, we have to always... I just had this conversation with my sales team. You can have the exact same person experience the exact same thing, and if you set the expectation with person A, and you, and you don't set the expectation with person B, person A is fine, and person B is pissed. And, yep. and the difference is only the expectation that was set. Well, what I should have done differently is I should have said, hey, no, 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 we're not moving forward until we actually go and do this thing right in terms of setting expectations um, because it was obvious and we'd had the conversation multiple times. Well, of course, there was a negative feeling when all you do is react to people based off of no set expectations. And so it made sense for them. They didn't want to rock the boat, boat and they wanted to stay in their lane. Okay, great. Fantastic. Um, it puts us, it doesn't do, honestly, I have been trying to figure out how to have less leads. We had too many coming in. So it, I, I'm, that's not a spin. It's God's honest. I've been telling my team for about a year that I needed to do away with this program. So, and again, because our close ratios on there were like half of what our normal close ratios are, but we could have spent less time selling just as much, if not more. And our sales for the, in, for the company didn't increase because it required so much volume. If you could have had some type of like immediate QBI, passive, you know, quote bind issue, passive income model, it could have made sense. But, yeah. but when you have, you know, two, 300 leads coming in a month, then, you know, we're, we're a $6 million agency, but we had, you know, 11 team members. Well, that's about mm. almost double what, you know, best practices would say you need, um, or maybe 25% more for a growing agency than what you're supposed to have simply because we needed to have all these people in handling the onboarding and the sales and, and just the, the, you know, 50 or 200 quotes in a month isn't a big deal, but 200 quotes every single month for two years, that, yeah. that's a lot. Of no, that's, that's a massive. Lot of time. Um, so learned a lot from that, learned a lot from that. But the biggest thing I learned was um, that you have to continue to ask yourself, are you making decisions based off of your values and what mm -hmm. you say you want? And, and you have to be willing to cut out people and to allow them to cut you out as you double down on those things. And if you don't know why you exist and if you don't know who you are, it, it does come back to culture and it always yeah. will. And if you don't know who you are, then at the end of the day, we were ready for this because I had I'd been thinking about it for the last eight months. But had I not had I not been looking at what was going on relative to the decisions we were making and how we were making them relative to our core values, then I, I couldn't have been prepared for this. Mm. But we are because we've been changing the way we've been making decisions over the last year and a half. Well, and the concept of self-selection by a team member in this case 
it, it's a little bit different application of the concept. I, I was uh, at a coffee this morning uh, with John Lyons, who's an agency. Uh, he's a producer, actually, at an office in, in Prosper. He's on uh, season two of The Protégé. Oh, nice. Uh, shout out to, uh, to Carruthers and The Protégé. Check that out on YouTube if you haven't already, the uh, Power Producers uh, channel over there. But um, he and I were talking about being authentic in the content you put out uh, externally. But the same is exactly true. Because when you're authentic with your content, when you're authentic with your messaging in the marketplace, it makes it a lot easier for the insured to self-select whether they want to talk to you in the first place. And you know, if you get someone who comes in an inbound because they saw some of your content and decided to reach out, I mean, the likelihood of closing that insured is you know, exceptionally high. Super high, yeah. But the same can be said of your team. And I think you raised an excellent point in our, our prep call on Monday was simply the stronger you are in living out your vision and values, the more you're going to attract the right people for your way of doing business, the more you're going to repel the wrong people uh, for doing your way. And, and I know you in traction like I am, the whole concept of right people, right seats uh, is very powerful. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so. you know, what's really interesting to that, especially as we started to double down on, on traction, we actually just, I, I was trying to do it. Uh, and then we just hired an implementer. So we're starting that when we get back from the auto owners Hawaii trip uh, this week, this coming week. But Nice little humble brag there. Way to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No worries. Uh, thank you, auto owners. Love you guys. Uh, so the, um, but in, in looking at um, how that played out, we had an, a, you know, this, I think this is worth talking about. Let's, let's just call these guys out. Uh, Assured Partners came in to one of my team members who was making just over six figures. And they offered this person $200,000 a year for four years. Guaranteed. Four years guaranteed. Not on a draw, but a salary. Salary. 200000 four years guaranteed. Then it dissipates over the next six years, essentially a 10-year contract. This person, you know, my team member was great, came to me and said, hey, you know, Christian, I've got this. What do you think I should do? I was like, man, praise the Lord. This is good job. <laughs> you got to go. <laughs> Take it. But, but on the other side of that, we'd had some other conversations where this person had come to me and said, I feel like I'm being pushed out. And the reason for that was, even though they were amazing, and even though they're a, a wonderful person, a wonderful human, what they were feeling was that they no longer and probably never really did align with the company values internally. And so as we doubled down and as we started making decisions more heavily based on that, this person started feeling, even though that wasn't what we were doing actively, they started feeling like, man, I, I don't feel like I'm going to be here long. And it mm. could have felt like failure to lose this person. But the truth is, is the, while, when that person was gone... Our, our team was able to go, oh man, this is, it's like, it's so much more peaceful now. And we're all together yeah. now. There's not that, there's not that big, huge personality who's a, who's a prolific producer whose opinion mattered and therefore, you know, or their, their book mattered and therefore their opinion carried a certain type of weight to it. When that person was gone and everyone else was just on the same page, we've been able to operate with so much more clarity in our communication and I love this person. I'm not saying anything negative about them. Sometimes people just don't fit and sometimes people grow apart. And the best thing that anyone ever told me was what Chad Spade said when I called him when those people left. And he said, Christian, I should have told you this a while ago. You can never finish with who you start with. And, yep. and I didn't know if I believed that at the time, but I truly understand it now. And I wish I would have made all of my... So any agent that's looking to start an agency... It's when you get these ideas of grandeur. I, that team that left me, I loved them and I sacrificed for them. My wife, her feelings were truly hurt because of how much of my family time I sacrificed for those people. But what I would encourage new agency owners to do is to make decisions around payroll and time, assuming that the team that you have now will leave you. They're going to leave you. They're going to. Yeah. And you might need to leave them. So you've got to figure out how to love them and operate with honor while at the same time giving them the space and the freedom to go while at the same time protecting your organization such that when that happens, you continue to move forward. 
Well, perfect example is the situation that we have with a group uh, here in DFW. They are a, a cybersecurity uh, firm, uh, consulting and, and some actual like uh, hardware sales and whatnot. One of my close friends, uh, or relatively close friends from church, um, he is their sales manager and has been for a number of years. Uh, he got me an intro uh, with their old CEO um, who had been there for a number of years. Uh, the company was stable. Uh, it wasn't growing, but it was stable and it was profitable. And we all, you know, those of us that have read a lot of business books, and I, I know you have, so there's there's lots of, of literature on the concept of a, a maintenance CEO and a growth CEO being two very different people. You know, the kind of person who can, you know, be a good steward of the ship and, you know, keep a hand on the steering wheel and just make sure that the car or the ship keeps going in the same direction. That person is typically a very different person than the one who generates fabulous growth. And I firsthand experienced that because the CEO that I met with two and a half years ago, very nice person, not going to say anything negative. They simply did not have the same kind of vision for the possible uh, collaboration between a cybersecurity firm and an insurance and risk management firm that has a lot of experience dealing with cyber liability and data breach because obviously the overlap there you and i can understand exactly where i'm going fast forward two years there's a new ceo who's very interested in aggressive growth and creating strategic partnerships my friend reaches out and says hey i want to introduce you to the new ceo and that guy says yeah let's have that conversation that that aligns with where we want to be as a company and i'm thinking same company same people. The only difference is the CEO has a different vision and is more growth minded and is better aligned with what we want to do. That's so. It's really good. Yeah, you know, I've been kicking around the ideas. I've been writing some thoughts down, uh, differentiating between a wartime CEO and a peacetime CEO. So it kind of that sounds similar. Um, there's probably I'm sure there's something written about this. Like it can't be a unique idea, but I haven't looked anything up. But I think one of the things I recognize is that I am a really good wartime CEO. Um, if you need someone to step into the breach, to jump into the battle, to operate in, in a crisis, I'm your guy. I can do it all day long. Um, I'm a fighter. I'm a competitor. I'm an athlete, or I was. Now I'm the guy that looks like I ate that kid, but I used to be an athlete. And, you know, I've got... I've got that. I've got that heart, you know. Like in, we have the uh, we in our in our men's restroom in our in our office. We have the Rocky quote from, actually, it's from Rocky Balboa, which was like one of the worst of the of the nine or ten or however many there are, are there. But it talks about, you know, nothing's going to hit harder than life, and it's not a question of whether or not if you get knocked down. It's can you get knocked down, and do you get back up, and do you keep moving forward? I'm that guy. I'm the guy who can when COVID hit. I was going to keep our agency afloat if it was me and me alone. And I was going to take care of every single person in the process. But when it's peaceful, that mentality, it's like taking a magnifying glass and then concentrating the power of the sun on particular things. And that level of intensity can burn things up. So one thing I'm trying to figure out personally is, um, and have been doing this over the last year and a half, is, is how to transition and how to know when to operate with different skill sets. And just because you're it's your preference to operate a certain way. It doesn't mean it's what's best for the organization. And then on top of that, this is a big traction concept, is learning to let go. And there, I have, a, I have an operator in my office now who is essentially our director of operations. And I'm giving much of the operations over to him because he is a very chill and peaceful guy. And it's much better for our organization in, uh, in, the, in the stretch that we're in right now to operate under him. And then let me do the visionary thing. Now, knowing who you are and, and being able to live that out in your business, we could have an episode or three or five on that one topic. It is There's a lot to unpack there. I love that you opened that can of worms uh, because this is a perfect segue as we land the plane for this episode to kind of let the cat out of the bag that you and I are going to have uh, a, a short series of episodes 
where I'm I'm totally riffing on Carruthers and what he's done with Sedlak and Josh Gurley and a couple of other people uh, where we are going to have the more sessions. We're going to have some more sessions, M-O-R-E. We're also going to have a few more sessions, M-O-O-R-E, uh, where Christian is going to be uh, my first uh, guest co-host uh, in our podcast history. I don't know how many episodes it'll be. Can we tease um, it? Can we tease it a little bit with what we're going to do? Or does it need to be a Go for it, man. It, go, you go right ahead and drop that tease. We both came from the captive world, and we have both drank the Kool-Aid, and we've both experience life outside of the Kool-Aid drinking. And so what we're going to do is we are going to taste test the different Kool-Aids of the different captive carriers around the country and give you the the notes and the bouquets and the... Um, the mouthfeel. The mouthfeel <laughs> of, of these different captive carriers based off of what it's like to drink their Kool-Aid. Oh man, I'm so ready. And we're going to try and do it episodes. without getting James sued. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no names dropped. Yes, let's just put it that way. I don't need any defamation lawsuits, that's for sure. But you'll be able to read between the lines if you so choose, or you can just sit back, relax, and have a good laugh because it's all in good fun. Obviously, we all know that there is definitely a place in the market for, for the captive carriers. Uh, there are agents that are made for the captive world uh, that don't have the desire to do what it takes to be successful in the IA channel. And it's something we haven't talked that much about. I, I don't fixate on the captive world because I know so many of the people that listen to this podcast have never been a captive agent uh, and, and don't understand so, so many of the challenges in living that life. Uh, but that being said, there's a lot of people that are either former captives or are currently in uh, the captive channel of the industry. Uh, so I, for one, am very happy to uh, get on another episode or two. And gosh, I will try my hardest uh, to not say anything that ends up being actual defamation. Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of fun uh, and, and making fun and, and poking certain things that I just think are ridiculous and and I know you do as well, Christian. Uh, hopefully our listeners have as much fun as you and I inevitably will uh, when we record those uh, next week, I think is probably when it'll be, uh, at least one of them. So uh, did we miss anything in this episode? Because this episode is really more interview format uh, where you know, you're unpacking your thoughts and feelings on, on a few things. Um, you're, you're not the co-host this time, but uh, next time you definitely will be. There's, there, that will not be an interview format. That'll be more like, you know, Mike and Mike on ESPN. I love it. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be good. I, I think that's going to be fun. It'll be, it'll be nice to make fun of some things, but also make fun of ourselves a little bit, I think, in, in, in our in our Because let's be days. honest, I drank some of that Kool-Aid. I, I did. Yep, same, same. I can't, I can't wait to tell you the story of my first interaction with a captive, with an independent carrier and, and how dumb I was. <laughs> you have one of those too, huh? Uh, it's I remember it's being so completely dismissive and elitist and condescending. And now <laughs> yes, I represent yes. that carrier. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm perfectly happy representing that carrier. They do a lot of things well. But gosh, <laughs> we'll have to unpack that later. Holy cow. It's the, the similarities in my journey and yours are, are comical to say the it's least. true. Anything else before we wrap no, this one thanks up? Thanks for having me, man. It's been an honor. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Uh, you know what to do. Uh, the bumper to end the episode is going to roll here in just a second. So uh, that's really it for, uh, for this episode. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite podcasting platform to get automatic updates on every new episode and help other people find us organically. If you like the content you hear, please drop us a quick review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share agency freedom with someone you know who is still on the captive side of the insurance world. They'll thank you later. You can connect with other Freedom Jumpers, ask questions, get advice, and share your best practices in our Facebook group. Just type Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar. 
Visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com to sign up for our email list and get access to exclusive resources and sign up to be a potential future guest on the show. We welcome your comments, feedback, and ideas. Email podcast at riskwell.com and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help our listeners go from captive to indie to market domination. Until next time, let's go.